And I started doing some thinking. Uh, I actually started doing this about a year ago because I was thinking through the idea, if Jesus calls us to live by new principles, if there's new ways of thinking about life that we're supposed to embrace as Christians that's different from the way we've been living, what are those? And I actually think a lot of Christians would be hard-pressed to name some of those. Like, what are the principles of a new way of living that Jesus calls you into? And you're like, love your neighbor as yourself? Okay, good. That's one. What's the next one? Right? Like, we get some, like, start blank-eyed deer-in-the-headlights look, right? Because we don't really write them down. So I started doing this about a year ago on my phone, even though I just said bad things about it, right? Um, I started writing down what I call, I have a list of my notes. It's just called kingdom principles. And every time I come across a principle that I can succinctly say in, in one sentence, I just write it down. I'm like, oh yeah, God's people are asking, how can I live with less, right? And I just write that down and I keep doing that. So I've actually printed out, uh, I did that as I began the study for today. Just in the last chapter and a half, since God's people have been led out of slavery, I printed out and put it on some of your papers. I wasn't sure how many people would come. Turns out a lot of people came. So uh, you might have to share a little bit. Yeah, that's okay if lots of people come. Um, but I printed out in just kind of this different format that's like, here's the principles that God's been building into his people. We've talked about these as we've studied through, if you've been with us. But if not, it's just like a short summary right at the top. Uh, our cultural value is you should always feel good about the way your life is going. But the people of God, we've seen, there's seasons where we feel stuck, and that's really normal, and that doesn't mean God has abandoned us. And we see that from Exodus chapter 5 through 12, right? So we practice this habit of patience and perseverance, right? You go to the second one. The culture would tell you, you could choose to live this moment any way that you want, regardless of the past or the future. But we just talked about last week that the people of God remember and have a hope for the future, and it changes how we live presently. Right? What happened behind us and what's happening in front of us are both changing how we live right now. Right? We get that from Exodus chapter 13, verses 3 through 16. Right? We talked about many times over and over as we went through the 10 plagues, the danger of the hardness of heart. 17 times God talked about the condition of Pharaoh's heart. His heart was hard. He hardened his heart. Hard heart. Hardened his heart. Changed his mind. Hardened his heart. He talked about the condition of Pharaoh's heart over and over and over and over and over again. We would seem, seem to take from that, that as the people of God, we believe that a hard heart is one of the most dangerous things to your life. In fact, I would say biblically, it's the most dangerous thing to your life. Not China or North Korea or liberals or whatever you think it is, right? A hard heart, right? The world would tell you the greatest danger in your life is not getting what you want. And you could have a hard heart. I was just having a conversation with some friends earlier about us being eights. We're the hardest of hearts, right, on the Enneagram. And yet, it shouldn't be celebrated like it was in Egypt. It should be humbled and broken, as Jesus talked about. So uh, there's a few of those. And I left at the bottom of the back page, uh, I left a couple blank, because you can absolutely fill in some from today or put it on your fridge. I don't care what you do with it. But just an idea of something that I found fruitful in my life. Uh, so I printed it out for you. And uh, yeah, just so you know, as we go through these principles and these values and these new habits and new way of living, some of these are going to be harder than others, okay? You are going to maybe not see these. They're going to be a blind spot for you. And some of these are going to be really hard. You'll see them clearly, but they'll be hard for you to embrace. 
right? Like there's some people in here, it's really hard for them not to idolize money. They really want nice things and they really want a nice house and they really want to be comfortable financially and they really want, others of you can live in a trailer with a backpack and flip-flops and be fine, right? So there's, there's some of us, it's harder for some of us than others. And, and I could go through a million different examples of things like that. Toby and I were skiing last week and he's like, my feet hurt. And I was like, my feet hurt too. But that's just what you do when you go skiing. And it's still awesome. And some of you are like, why would you go out in the cold and your feet hurt and you can't feel your face and you pay to do it? Like that sounds the stupidest thing ever, right? So we all got different things, right? That we're okay with and it's hard for us. But as we go through today, I think we're gonna see some things that's gonna hit Americans and American culture, uh, especially right between the eyes. It's gonna be really difficult for the way we kind of present ourselves as Americans. So we'll jump in. Now, just to remind you, we're going to start in verse 17. We, talk, we started the first of the chapter last week. Uh, the people of God have just come out of Egypt. The Egyptians begged them to leave. There's about two and a half million people, the Israelites, that are leaving Egypt, along with a multitude uh, of, they called a mixed multitude, so non-Israelite uh, people. They asked for gold and silver on their way out, so their pockets are full of gold and silver that the Egyptians have just given them. Uh, and they walked into the desert and just spent the night somewhere in the sand. And that's where we pick it up. Chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And they moved from from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in pillar of cloud, and led them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so we have these people walking out of Egypt, right? There's a pillar of cloud. Don't even know what that means, right? And every time I've seen it try to be done like in a movie or something, it looks as corny as heck, okay? So I'm not going to try and draw for you or any of that, but like somehow there's a giant pillar of cloud and they're like, that's God and he's leading us and they're following it. And then at night, it's also a pillar of fire. So I don't know if the cloud is like glowing from inside or there's lightning. I don't know what's happening, but it sounds amazing. And I wish I could have seen it. That's going to be one of the first things I ask when I die and go to heaven. It's like, can I see that? Because that sounds, and can I try manna? Can, can we do those two? Well, okay. So anyway, what's interesting here is as we get to verse 17, the people are leaving and they're going to the promised land, which is where God has called his people since the time of Abraham. He promised Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. The land at that time was known as Canaan. It's modern day what we would know as Israel. And I'm going to put a map up on the screen because it's interesting. If you are leaving from Egypt and you are going to Canaan, you would take the green arrow, which is a very easy way. It's called, well... Back in the day, it was a trading route, the way of the sea, right? So traders coming from 
uh, Europe would come down along the Mediterranean. They would come along to Egypt, and it was, it was a road. It was like a well-worn path. There was lots of people living along. There was places to stay, water. All the things that you would need to survive would be on that road. And it was the quickest, most direct route. So they're in the Nile River Delta area of Egypt, which is the green circle. They're going to the blue circle, which is the promised land. The northern body of water above the blue circle is the Sea of Galilee. The bottom body of water is the Dead Sea, just in case you're wondering. And so that would be the normal way we would go. If I was like, hey, let's go to Canaan or the promised land, everybody would be like, let's take the way of the sea. That makes sense. That's not where they went. God led them toward the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is down in the south, right? So they should be traveling northeast, and they're traveling southeast a little bit, right? And, and God leads them this way, which may not be a big deal to you. Like, okay, God's going a different way. No, God's not going a different way. God's going the wrong way. Okay, this is not like, hey, we're going to Seattle. We could take I-90 or we could take Highway 2. We know Highway 2 is a little bit longer, but you get to go through Leavenworth and get some sauerkraut, so it's fine for everybody. Like, that's not what's happening here. There's not two ways to get to the promised land, and God just chose the longer way. God's going the wrong way. Like, that, that's not a way you get to the promised land. He didn't say, like, hey, we're going to go this way because we'll come back around. He's like, hey, we're going this way, and they're going, but the promised land's that way. Think about that for a second, that God chooses to lead his people what they would consider the wrong way on purpose. And we're talking about principles and new ideas and new ways of living that God is building into his people. Sometimes he leads you in a direction that you consider not just not understandable, but wrong. Like, God, that, you, that, we're going the wrong direction from where I should be going. Now, there's a whole bunch we can learn from this. But God seems to love leading people in ways that seem to them and to others to be the wrong ways. And there are many times when God is leading and it not only doesn't seem like the fastest or most direct or most logical choice, but oftentimes it seems like the complete wrong direction. And here's the way I would phrase it. If you desire to be the people of God, the most important question to ask is never, does this make sense to me? Because there's a lot of times where it won't. Like, this is par for the course. If you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus and surrender my will to his and let God lead my life as he desires, there's going to be many times where it doesn't make sense to you. But the question to ask then is, am I doing what God is leading me to do? That's the most important question to be asking. Uh, I, I ask people uh, lots as a, as a church leader, right? I ask them, hey, you want to help with youth group? Hey, you want to lead worship? Hey, you want to be an assistant pastor? Hey, you want all these different questions I end up asking people. And most people, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to like make it feel bad, but most people are like, the first thing that they're asking is like, well, how would it fit in my schedule? Do I have time to do this? And what would be required? Those are all great questions. But oftentimes I have to go, let's step back one second and say, does God want me to do this? Is this where God is leading me to do? The rest of that stuff we can figure out if we're sure that this is what God is calling us to do. So the first question we shouldn't ask is like, does this make sense to me? Does this go where I want it to go, right? Those are all great. But do you have a conviction that this is where God is leading? Now, this is interesting because most of the time God doesn't tell us why he's doing what he's doing. He's just like, I'm doing this and you'll figure it out. 
Here he actually tells us why. And he says, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So what the problem is, is along this green route is a lot of people and not only Egyptian military outposts, but Philistine military outposts. And God seems to know that if his people run into military opposition, they will turn around and run back to Egypt. Okay? Now, this is the interesting part of the story, because when I read this, I go, why would it matter if they're not going to fight? Why don't you just do a miracle, God? Why don't you just snap your fingers and the Philistine army falls down dead? Like, why does it matter if your people aren't courageous? You use all sorts of jacked up people all the way through the Bible. Why do you change your mind now? Why do you have to have people that won't run away now? And actually, if you read through the scriptures, there are a ton of people that God uses, right? You go through the Bible, you see God using weak people and scared people and uneducated people and unprepared people and unqualified people in unlikely places and unlikely circumstances. But if you turn and run or if you will never step into the battle, then he's not going to win that battle for you. We don't see God using people who turn their backs and run. Okay, so later on, we're going to get to a point where they're boxed in and the Egyptians are coming and they can't run away. And Moses is going to say an interesting thing to them at that point, but they can't turn and run. Okay, so if you want to be the people of God, if you want to be obedient, I'm not saying you have to be great at battle. I'm not saying you have to be the most qualified, the most able. He's not saying like, I wish I had a whole nation full of warriors, but you guys are kind of wusses, so we're going to go this way. No, he doesn't say that. He just says, I just need people who won't turn and run. I just need people who won't run away from what I'm doing in their lives. You don't have to be uber qualified. You don't have to be the most and the highest and the best. You don't have to have people look at you and be like, I can see why God picked you. You just have to not turn around and run. That's the only requirement. And here's another principle we see over and over in Scripture as God works in his people. They will be called to fight, but right now they're just called to follow. I think sometimes we're ready to fight a little too quick, right? We're like, why? Let's go. Let's go down to Via Mares, the way of the sea. Like, let's fight some dudes. Like, I'm ready. Like, bring out those 10 plagues again, God. I'm, let's go. And God's like, I didn't call you to fight yet. I just called you to follow. Like, there's a portion of the Christian world that really likes to fight. I don't know if you've been on Facebook recently, but, uh, like, we're always ready to fight. And, and sometimes God just calls us to follow. Like, I don't need you to fight yet. I just need you to follow, right? Once they watch God come through in situation after situation, what's going to happen is their trust and belief and, and, and understanding of his strength, all that's going to grow, their ability to trust in God is going to expand. And then he's going to call them to fight. One day in the future, they will be able to trust God with more and more and more where they fight the correct way and the correct battle that he's calling them to. So what that means for us is this. Real faith grows. He, he might not be calling you to fight today. He will be calling you to fight Someday, So if we're going to go from where we are to where he's calling us to, we should expect that our faith, our trust, our belief, our confidence in him, our ability to trust him with the circumstances of life, all that's going to grow. It's going to expand. 
So that would mean for us that if we're walking by faith today, if we're walking through a hard circumstance, if we're walking through a difficulty, and we do a good job and we trust God through it, what we can expect on the other side of that is another bigger stretch of our faith. Right? The way I've said it before is the reward for passing a test of faith is another greater test of faith. And you're, some of you say, man, there's like two of you. They're like, yeah, you're the fighters, right? The rest of you are like, great, it's going to get harder, right? <laughs> you're going to know God more in it. So yeah, from the outside, we could quote unquote say harder, or that requires more faith or more difficulty. But if you're closer to God, you won't realize it's harder. Okay? You'll just be like, this is what we do. We do what God calls us to do. And as it grows, as it stretches, as I mature, as I am what the Bible calls sanctified, he's going to call me to stretch more. And this is what, man, so many Christians get this lost, right? We treat Christianity like a, like a driver's license test. And I've said this before, where we like, I walked by faith once, now I'm good. I just hit the cruise control and like coast until I die. It's just, like, we never see that in the Bible. Like when we see people in the Bible, they are gro- they're, they're walking from st- Faith to faith, the Bible says, from glory to glory, from one condition of their faith to another higher condition of the faith, from trusting God with a little bit to trusting God with more to trusting God with more. That's the normal experience of the people of God. There's one last thing I want to point out. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, the people of Israel went out equipped for battle. So so what's the problem, God? Right? If you're on our side and we're equipped for battle, what's holding us back? Here's the problem. They have the equipment for battle, but not the hearts for battle. Because he knows when they see war, they're going to turn and run. Okay? Remember, 17 times God mentioned the condition of the heart of Pharaoh in the last eight chapters. And it's not just the heart of Pharaoh that God is concerned about. It's the heart of his people, too. And he knows that even though they are equipped for battle, the condition of their hearts would not hold up to the requirements for battle. They don't have the hearts for battle. They don't have the faith necessary. It would destroy them. They would turn and run. They would literally run right back into bondage. And so God takes them the long way, the wrong way, on purpose. Look at verse 19. So Moses took the bones of Joseph, saying, so Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, this is awesome. Now, if you remember, Joseph, remember, is Abraham's great-grandson. It went Abraham, to whom God promised the promised land, then his son Isaac, okay? Then his son, Isaac's son Jacob, and then Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all buried in the blue area, okay? I don't know if you remember that part of Genesis, but every time something happened, they went back to the blue area and buried Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Joseph dies, remember Joseph was second in charge of Egypt at the time that he died. He didn't go back and get buried in the promised land, but he did say, I believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do and bring the people back. And so he said, don't put my bones in the ground here. Do it when God comes through on his promise. Yeah, wow. Why is that so different than the world we live in? It's a guy who is celebrated 
and held high in this culture because he believes the promises of God are not limited to his death. He believes that God will be good and faithful and true even if he dies, right? God will do what he said he's going to do even if I die in the process of God proving himself faithful. That's, that's, a, that's worth celebrating, right? There's a lot of people we celebrate in our world today. None of them are that virtuous where it's like, you know what? God is so good. His promises are so true that even if I die, it's not going to withhold from what he's going to do. I believe his goodness will extend even beyond the grave. That's awesome, right? That's a different culture, a different way of living, a different type of person being celebrated than the Egyptian culture at the time. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi hath between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Okay, now some of you were a little bit uncomfortable when earlier I said, God might call you to go the wrong way. Can we be honest here? I know that's not really what we do in church, but we could try, right? If God called you to go a way that you thought was the wrong way, how many of you that would make you uncomfortable? Okay, so there's like eight honest people here. Good for you. Okay, so this is way harder, okay? So God calls you the wrong way. You can still talk yourself into like, yeah, you think we're crazy, but we're crazy like a fox. Like this way is actually better, right? You could be like, you could play that card. You'd be like, you just don't understand, right? We're going this way because there's a secret this way that you don't know about, right? You could do that kind of a thing. Like God knows what he's doing. We're going the wrong way. But then as they're going the wrong way and they're like talking themselves into it, no, this isn't bad. We're fine. We'll be good. Everybody else says this is the wrong way. We know this is the right way. Then God tells them to turn around. So they're going like, no, this is the better way. And then God's like, turn around. They're like, And if you don't think that's a big deal, have you ever tried to follow someone in a car and they knew where they were going and you didn't know where you're going? So like, oh, I'll just follow you, right? And you're following them and then they go down the street and you're like, I don't think this is where they're at. And then they turn around. How many of you are like, oh, no big deal. Everybody get lost. Nobody. Everybody's like, dang it. Now we're all lost. This guy doesn't know where he's going. Right? Your wife. Never mind. I'm not going to say anything about wives. Right? But everybody in the car is like, we do. No confidence at all. Right? When you turn around, it's never like, it's fine. Nobody has grace on people that turn around. Right? Everybody is like, what the heck are you doing? Like, we don't know where we're doing now. And this is exactly what God is telling Moses to do. Right, they're walking this way. God's like, turn around. Moses is like, no, nah, you got to be kidding me. Because what did Moses tell us? In chapter 5, Moses told God, he's like, they're not going to listen to me. Like, Moses was insecure as a leader. He's already concerned that the people aren't going to listen to him. He's already concerned that the people don't believe in him. He said, I'm going to go back, and they're going to say, Who, God didn't talk to you. Who should I say told him? Sent me. Like, Moses is already upset about this. This is already an insecurity of Moses. So can you imagine when God's like, Moses, I want you guys to turn around. Right? The cloud goes this way. It's like, gosh, dang it. They didn't believe me before. Now they're never going to trust me. Like, uh, public service announcement. We all need to turn around. I know I've been saying this was the right way. We go back. Right? And God tells them to go back and camp by the sea in this place where they can't escape. If you were a military leader, you'd be like, there's the worst possible place to be found. 
And so I can just picture Moses having this conversation with God. God, people are going to think we don't know what we're doing. Like, they're going to think we're incompetent. Like, we are going to look foolish to the outside. If you want your people to follow me, I need to be a leader that knows what I'm doing and, like, is doing things well, and I'm going to look lost if you tell us to turn around. I don't know if you're aware of that. I know you're almighty and all-knowing. Maybe you got stuff going on. You missed this detail. You're going to make me look dumb, God. And God answers and says, yeah, I want you to look dumb. That's literally what God says. Look at verse 3, 13. Four, that's not, why is there a three on my thing? Look at verse 15. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land for the wilderness, at the end of 14, sorry, thank you, Ben. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. God's like, I want you to look like you don't know what you're doing. I want Pharaoh to see you and hear about where you are. He'd be like, they're lost. They don't know what they're doing. That's literally what God says. Like, I want you to look dumb to Pharaoh. I want you to look like you don't know where you're going. That's tough to swallow for lots of us, right? Because we're fine with taking the long way as long as we can kind of convince ourselves that it looks like we know what we're doing. Like, we all want to look like we know what we're doing to everybody around us. Like, nobody likes to watch. I worked at Starbucks when we first planted the church. And they told us that the feedback that they got from customers was that they were so intimidated to order at Starbucks. People who had never come in, what kept them from coming in? They were very intimidated to order at Starbucks because they didn't want to feel like they ordered wrong and they didn't know what they were doing, right? Because there's a million things. I don't know if you've been behind the person in line that's like, I'll have a double quad upside down macchiato with oat milk, two pumps of peppermint. You're like, you're like, what? Like, that is intimidating, right? Nobody likes to look like, they, know, they don't know what they're doing. That's a huge fear for everybody. And God's like, I'm actually going to lead my people in a way that it looks like they have no idea what they're doing. No idea what they're doing. Like, he's led them the wrong way. Then he calls them to turn around and wander. Then he's called them, I mean, it's, he's called them to be inefficient on purpose. There's almost nothing less American than being inefficient on purpose. <laughs> Now, I want you to waste things and time and stuff. Like, I want you to be poor at what you're doing leadership-wise on purpose, Moses. I mean, it's really hard, especially for Americans, especially for leaders. I can only imagine what Moses is thinking at this point. And here's what we're going to see over and over as we work through not only the book of Exodus, but through the rest of the scriptures. There will be seasons and moments where God calls his people into things that are intended to strengthen their trust in him. And sometimes he will say, I want you to be inefficient. I want this not to work well. I want you to not know what you're doing. It's fine with me if you feel lost. If, it's fine with me if not only do you feel lost, but people outside look at you and be like, he's lost, right? That's fine. Turning around and going in circles doesn't bother God. Oh, really? It doesn't, right? Sometimes they're like, my life's such a mess. Messes don't bother God. We've talked about this over and over, right? In fact, there will be times when he wants it to be apparent to everybody who's watching, you don't know what you're doing, you're lost, you're going in circles, your life's a mess. And that's fine with him. 
if you desire to be the people of God and live the life he's called you to and be obedient, he's going to lead you into situations that burn that pride out of you. Where all you have is I'm doing what God's put in front of me to do. Even if nobody thinks I know what I'm doing, nobody's looking at me like, oh, we could follow that person. It's inefficient. It's broken. It's a mess. We're going in circles. And it humbles you because all you have is obedience to the Lord to keep you going. And he continues on. He says this, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. We're in chapter 14 now. Sorry, verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Then the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army overtook them and encamped at the sea by Pethaharoth in front of Bel of Zephon. That one's really tough. I don't know what the Egyptians were doing, naming their stuff. But anyway, Pharaoh looks out and he sees the people wandering. He's like, what was I doing? Why did I let these people go? They have no idea what they're doing. They're clearly lost. I'm going to go get them back. So he sends out an army to go get them. And if you're Moses, you're probably thinking, fine. We were fine. Then you had us turn around, God. Now Pharaoh looks at us, thinks we're lost. Now he's coming to get us. Way to go, God. Look what you did. Right? Anybody ever said that to God? Probably not. Don't admit it. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near to God, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So literally, this is the worst possible scenario for the people of Israel. The people of God were like, what's the one thing you don't want to have happen to you? I hope Egypt doesn't come after us. Guess what? Egypt's coming after us. Great. Thanks. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And look at this. Verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this that we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Remember when we were going through the 10 plagues and I told you that maybe the people of God had a little more Egyptian culture formed in them than they realized? Like, like maybe the people of God were a little more entangled in the love of Egypt than they understood. Like, like maybe they were a little more dug into the way that the Egyptians were living. They kind of loved the thing about living in Egypt more. They were like, oh, we don't want to be slaves. We don't want to be slaves. Okay, let's get out of Egypt. And they're like, we kind of want to go back now. Right? We talked about it, and I've said it a few times now. Like, God had to get the Egypt out of his people as well as get his people out of Egypt. How long did it take them in freedom to beg to go back to bondage. Well, if you got a white or a blue Bible, at the top of page 32 is when they get let out. And we are now halfway down the right column of page 32. So less than half a page. That's how long it took. Not very long, right? We're free. We kind of want to go back right now. You need to know this about yourself, okay? The people of God have a ridiculous 
capacity to prioritize their own comfort above what God is doing. I said the people of God. I didn't say people out there. What's this story about? These are the people of God. These are the people that just watched the 10 plagues happen. These are the people whose pockets are full of gold and silver that God just handed them. These are the people who are standing next to a pillar of cloud. Right? God has led them here. There's a big pillar of cloud to prove it. And they're like, we told you we would have rather stayed in Egypt and been slaves. You need to know that about yourself that you have this ridiculous capacity to ignore the goodness of God and what he's leading you into and just pursue comfort. And I'm not talking about outside the church. I'm talking about the people of God because that's who we're talking about in the story. And if you are like, no, I'm good. I'll figure it out. I know what God's doing in my life. Like, it's just not true. And if you're not aware of this about yourself, then you won't be proactive in fighting against it. And that's where so many of us fail. Because we're like, we'll be fine. You won't be fine. You need to know this about yourself. You need to know that if you aren't proactive in protecting yourself from some of the entanglements of the world, like the parable of the soils, it will choke you out. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the desire for other things, chokes out the seed from Mark chapter 4. And one day you turn around and you're like, why does my life feel dead? Because it got choked out. Because you weren't aware of your tendency to be like, actually, I'd rather be in slavery than to be free. I'd actually just rather be back in bondage because that was more comfortable. And some of you are like, God, if you just showed me a miracle, I'd believe. If you just did a miracle that no one could deny, I'd believe. Like a giant pillar of cloud. Like, would that count? Like, we walked out this morning and there's a giant pillar of clouds standing in First Avenue and cars couldn't go through it. Would you follow Jesus then? Because human history, as like what we know about ourselves, tells us that's not true. Right? We think we just need a miracle to believe. And these people just watched the 10 plagues happen and are now following a pillar of cloud that they've been following through the night and through the day. And they still don't want to do what God's called them to do. They want to turn back. And Moses said this to the people, and I realize I'm four minutes over, but I'll finish here. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. There's this point where you would think that this is now where God causes people to turn and fight, right? I almost expected this to be like a Braveheart moment. Like, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. You can never take our freedom, right? And they all like, fight like you've never fought before. And they're like going and like killing the Egyptians and like God just whoops them. That's not what God tells them to do. He says, stand and be silent and watch God fight before you. Now, if you're an American and this happened to you, and God's like, go the wrong way. What? Turn around. What? Act lost. I am lost. I know, that's perfect, right? And you're like, are you mad at me? No, you're doing perfect. And you're like, right? We would start doing, if we're in the American church, we'd be like, 
I think that I did something wrong. I must not have prayed hard enough. I must not have read my Bible enough. God must be mad at me. He must be punishing me. Like all those things. Is that why this is happening? Is God mad at his people? Have we read that anywhere? No. Right? Is he punishing them? No. Is he, have they unmet expectations? No. Is there like hidden sin in their life where they're like, we shouldn't have been doing this? No, none of that. God led them into a hard place on purpose so he could show his power and might and love on their behalf. That's why he did it. You might want to write that down in one of the empty blank spaces on the paper of like principles. Right? Hard seasons aren't necessarily corrective. Sometimes God just wants to show you how much you mean to him. Sometimes he leads you into that to stretch your faith. And, and this is interesting. He says, don't fight. You would expect this is the time where they're ready to fight. Don't fight. I just want you to watch and be silent, which is interesting. Don't even yell at him. Just quiet confidence that God's going to show himself good on your behalf. Man, what if we walked into the rest? What if we walked into our week with that attitude? Right? I'm just going to do what God's called me to do and have a quiet confidence that whatever I run into this week, he's going to show himself good on my behalf. Would that change how people perceive us in our world? I mean, that's radically different than the way normal people live. That's radically different than the world. You got to figure it out. You got to have ambition. You got to drive. You got to get your act together. Right? You... Or you could just do what God's calling you to do and trust that he will, like he always has, prove himself good and faithful and loving towards his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come on back up.